Morning. <coughs> Say that again. Morning. Morning. <coughs> this is going to be good. <coughs> anyway, if you've got your Bibles with you, could you turn to Nehemiah? Start for verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali. In the month of Kishlef, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. <coughs> they said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province and in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. (coughs) When I heard these things I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted (coughs) and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying for you day and night for your servants. The people of Israel, I confess the sins of 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 we, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength, and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2 In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire, the king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you you get back? 
It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me self-conduct, safe conduct, sorry, until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the Transphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat and the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I'll just leave it at that. <coughs> This is a word that is for me before it's for anybody else. He's <clears throat> um, asked me the last time I was here to kind of talk a wee bit about the well. <clears throat> now you reach that run, and some of us here run it. The heart of the well. <clears throat> you see, for centuries, a well would be a place where you would go and you'd get water from. We would draw water, <clears throat> and that water would create life, and it would be a, this essential source would be a source of community, people would meet at the well, and it would be a social contact and people would exchange information and stories and stuff, and out of, the, out of a well, they dig a well, a village would be created. In the 21st century we don't have any like that. But we can create wells. Church should be a well. A well for the community. <clears throat> the well, a few years ago, <clears throat> I used to put on a meal. Um, a good meal, a free course meal. And we just invite people from the towers that surround about our church to come and eat free gratis. And they would just come. <clears throat> and I, I, run a, I run an outreach in Airdrain. I spoke to some of the guys who wanted to come and I said, do you know what? Yeah. I said, I'll cut the ministry out all together if you want. I said, I'll just feed Jesus if that's what you want. And they said, no, Jimmy, we like that. We like to hear about Jesus. We want to sing. So I kept it. So there's a time of ministry. <coughs> Jesus fed people physically and he fed them spiritually. And the whole thing was about acceptance. Nobody was treated any different. Everybody was classed the same. <clears throat> and people were given their dignity. Didn't matter what state they were in. Heroin addiction, homelessness, whatever. People were felt welcome. There was always somebody. The ministry was sitting, at the, sitting eating with them. Sitting eating with people and listening to their problems. Because <coughs> once they trust you, they open up. And through that you get prayer, but can you, 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 you know, you, people are open to prayer if they're desperate. <coughs> Even a God they don't believe in, any help will do. And you start to see prayers getting answered bit by bit. I remember a young lassie, 
she came to the world, she came to, it was new life I was running. For a full year, with a wee boy, she walked up to me one day and says, I'm getting saved today. She'd obviously been listening in here and stuff. And I said, I've been preaching in here for a year and now you're wanting to get saved. <laughs> she says, I, the day I got up and I said to the Lord, I'm giving you my life today, Lord. That was the real deal. There's no, she just knew what she had to do that day. We last I get saved, baptised, became a Christian. Loads of horror stories. It's like you putting a black tie on people's funerals. A lot of heartache. <clears throat> More heartache than there is joy. But you know you're making a difference. And I always say any of, the, any of the volunteers that come, I say you're not working for them. You don't work for people, you work for the loving God. The loving God doesn't let you do, people let you do. And if you can keep that, you're working for Jesus. People can walk out of the tap here, no matter. Because he uses a doormat, then you're a social work department. But if you're working for Jesus, that doesn't affect you. We want to give people a new direction, meaning and purpose in their life. And the only way you can do that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus gives you a new life, a new start, wipes the slate clean, get rid of the baggage. Your core beliefs of faith in Jesus is the answer to the, addict, to the people, the person and addiction. No methadone. And not just abstinence for alcoholic. He needs a new life. And that life is found in Jesus Christ. And we, <clears throat> we believe in discipleship every bit as much as conversion. Because Jesus came and he made disciples. And he told them to go and make disciples. This, this is what, what I've got because <clears throat> I'm being honest with you when I'm wrapped up in myself the selfishness in me doesn't care when I'm being honest with you when I'm wrapped up in myself I'm the most miserable person you'll ever meet but when I allow the Lord back into my life as I shared me a few weeks back he loves people the new creation in me loves people and he'll put himself out for other people and do you know something, that's where your joy comes so you know Jesus first yourself last is it Jesus first others and then yourself last <clears throat> it's true but I've been praying for a burden we only do it once on a Sunday Sunday night I had to go back to work, things happened I had to go back full time to work <clears throat> I couldn't do the well during the day so I'm basically doing a Sunday night, the guys help me, we do a Sunday night and uh, we have some music, maybe a testimony. I'm just trying to build relations again with the people in the towers to get them back. I'm praying that God opens a door that I can free me up from my job again and, and do it during the day, but that'll be in the Lord's time. But I have to put up, but you know something? The work's been going on for a year and a half in my heart because <clears throat> I needed I needed a burden again I lost it and I needed I get so mixed up again myself I needed a burden again I needed to ask God to give me a burden again 
when I was in the new life, well, it was Gertrude Bridge Dropman. My mate asked me to come and help out. I said, who, who do you help me? She's addicts and homeless people. I went and I've never been homeless and I've never been an addict. But I tell you, he says, but you can come along and help this guy. He just learned to play the guitar. He does the worship. So I went and helped this guy, Jimmy, Jimmy Cavana. I think he knew one chord less than me. <laughs> but I helped the guy, you know, and I said, I'm just here to help Jimmy. You know. I can't understand it. God love them. They don't need my sympathy, but I've never, I've never took care of him. I've got nothing to do with these people. You know, and I would go week and week and I'd sit and listen, but I'd sit and listen to people and their stories. And I says, Lord, if you want me to do this, if you want me to, to, to help these people, you need to change me. Because deep down I don't really care. I'm only really caring about myself. I said, you need to change me. You need to give me a burden. Don't ever pray that prayer if you don't mean it. Because God gives you a burden. He leaves it in your heart and he breaks your heart and he opens your eyes and he lets you see the people. He lets God uses your eyes and you can see what he sees. Know what you see. And it breaks your heart and he gives you a burden for the work. And then it's no routine anymore. It's not about playing a guitar. It's not about anything. It's about people's lives. And God gives you a burden for that. And this is what this message in Nehemiah is about. <clears throat> it's about a burden that Nehemiah gets. We've got loads of lessons we can learn in this. <coughs> Nehemiah recognises a need. Then he gets a burden for the work. And through prayer, he discerns God's plan for this work. You see, we need to study Nehemiah in the context of what this situation he's in. <clears throat> he's got a good job. He's a cupbearer to the king. Which means he shares everything in the palace that the king has. He's got a cushion number. You might be in exile, but you might be in a cushion, you might be in a slipper zone. Have a right cushy life, even though you're in exile. He's a privileged guy. He's in a great position. He's always needs care for. He's in all these luxurious surroundings. He's in the presence of the king most of the time. He's a cupbearer, a poison taster. That's his job. <clears throat> In verse 2, <clears throat> we see that his brother comes back for Judah and inquires inquires his brother, what's happening? What's happening back home in the home country? And it's no good news. He says the walls are down, they're broken. You see, Ezra went back, <clears throat> the chapter, the, the, the book before Ezra, has came back from exile and built the temple. But the walls are broken down, the gates are burnt. They're wide open to attack. <clears throat> and other nations are laughing at them. 
they stare him. Try to build a temple there. They're in disgrace. And they're exposed. And they're vulnerable. And the walls are lying in ruins. They're wide open to the enemy. But Nehemiah starts to evaluate the situation. God starts to give him a burden. You see, although he's got this cushy number, <clears throat> this lifestyle that he's got, when he hears this news, God starts to give him a burden. And his outlook and his perspective in life completely changes. He takes his eyes off himself and he sees his people in need. And it challenges him. In the light of this knowledge, it challenges his life. <clears throat> when was the last time you were challenged in your life? When was the last time you had a burden for something that gripped you? He recognises this immediate, this immediate need. And he wants to help. <clears throat> and this is where it comes in. He knows what it's going to cost him. It even cost him his life. It's going to cost him his own security. He knows the sacrifice. It's going to cost him maybe his position in the palace. It might even cost him his job. God's calling Nehemiah for a purpose. And his attitude starts to change. When God gives a calling in your life, your attitude changes. No one to read the books of the Bible when God starts to change people's hearts. They stop thinking about themselves and they think about other people. Their priority becomes God's will and not their own. <coughs> in verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. <clears throat> what changes this man from a cushy number, cushy wee life to breaking down crying? It's changing him. We read the effect in the news, isn't it? And how he's reacted. He breaks down, he mourns, and he starts to get real with God, he starts to fast and pray. People of Jerusalem. Years later we would see this happen again when the Lord Jesus sat in the hill. <clears throat> the Mount of Olives. And he cried over Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. And he prayed over Jerusalem. And he ended up giving his life for Jerusalem. You see, when God reveals it to us an enormity of a given situation, we get a burden in our hearts. The clarity of this brings pressure on us. Presses in. You could be doing something and it just comes in again. You can't get it already. And it starts to affect us emotionally. At a personal level. 
And do you know something? Only when this happens does God's will start to work in your life. God starts to penetrate through our selfishness. And all the stuff that we've got. <clears throat> you see, there's great truth in this experience in Nehemiah. You never lighten the load unless you have felt the pressure in your own soul. Unless you feel it, nothing's going to change. Nothing lightens. That burden doesn't go away until you start to act out. Do God's will. <clears throat> I've shared with you what happened to me. And I asked for a burden. I probably think that anything I was asking for, but when I got it, I was sore. It changes you. And you're no longer going through the motions because you're working for Jesus and you're seeing what Jesus sees and you feel what Jesus feels and how much compassion he has for people because my love's totally and utterly selfish. Believe me. God may have called, uh, <clears throat> God may have called Nehemiah to build the, walls, build the walls of Jerusalem. But do you know he would lament over the ruins first? You would feel it first. I believe you have to feel the burden. And then you need to let God soften your heart and melt you. <clears throat> and he'll give you a real burden. The norm of this burden led Nehemiah to pray and fast. I believe you need to be emotionally broken to go on your knees to weep and pray and fast. Something must break in us. And it was into Nehemiah's broken heart that God put the knowledge of what to do with Jerusalem. You see, God gave Nehemiah the plan when he was on his knees broken before him. God started to give him the plan. Because when God starts to work on you, <clears throat> you start to plead and you totally buy in. And you ask him because you know you're helpless and the need is massive. And on that note, <clears throat> I'll rest my voice. There's a wee video. We do live in Scotland. We welcome people from Northern Ireland, right? But we're here today. And this is our need. This is who we were as a nation. And this is who we are today, because this is the burden of the day in Scotland, in Moody's Barn. And we need to grab this burden. The land of the book, eh? You know, when I was in ICC, <clears throat> there was an international college in Liverpool for around the world. And do you know all the Africans, the only place they wanted to go, it was the David Livingston Centre. Especially my friend, Bright, Bright Gamma, <clears throat> who was from Malawi, which was the main party. He brought the gospel to Africa. Scottish guy. And there's loads of them. You know, when I went to college every morning, I'd go by High Street, and the Glasgow Mission was there. And there it was. Let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. And then years later, they cut it to let Glasgow flourish. Cut out that Christianity nonsense. 
God gets pushed to the side. That religious nonsense. We'll deal with us. <clears throat> Look what's happened. We would have dealt with drug and crime capital in Europe. Well, we're famous, all right. Not for the right reasons. That's our burden. And I know statistics are work, the social work. Sandy will tell you. The figures are probably worse than that. I don't know if Dan will read there was a, a 12 year old lassie that was pregnant. It's actually outdated. It's worse. <coughs> there was a war going over in Northern Ireland. There were more deaths in Glasgow. There were more shootings in Scotland than in Northern Ireland. And there was a war happening. Civil war. That's what we've got to be proud of, yeah. That is our burden. Scotland's burden. But it's ours. It's Moody's bonds. Let Moody's bond flourish. By the preaching of the word. And the praising of the na his name. Okay. It's nonsense that people are perishing. But to those who have been saved, it's the power of God and the salvation of man. Nehemiah. <coughs> Nehemiah knew the consequences here, he knew the sacrifices it was going to cost him. <clears throat> As a cupbearer, he had to be happy all the time in the presence of the king. That was his job. Put a smile on your face, son, and drink that before he drinks it. Eat that before he eats it, and have a smile on your face, and you'll live. That was his job. If you were sad before the king, you were executed. You like sad people about because we see that here. It says, He'd never been sad in the presence of the king. No wonder. And the king noticed it right away. So he walked in there. He got up on his knees and asked God to help him. <clears throat> he's now vulnerable. Always be cushion number when he's in control of it. That's all away. He's now vulnerable before the king. Because he's going to get in there with a sad face. And he knows what's going to harm. <coughs> he knows he's going to get the attention of the king. We don't like to be vulnerable. We like to be in control. We don't like to be needy and helpless. We like to be in control. But you know something? God gives you a burden. He sometimes engages us into the places where we're vulnerable. But it's in order for us to totally trust him. And he experiences grace in it. He counted the cost before he went into that king. <coughs> he counted the cost before entering into God's work. You know, if God's called us to do anything, he's going to equip us. Because he knows we need to finish the task. So where did he get this plan? I like that when he said to him. He was very much afraid. And he tells him that the, the, the gates are burnt and the, the walls are down. And he's angry. That's why he's sad. He's going for it now. He's probably on adrenaline rush now. 
And he says, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to God in heaven, and I answered the king. I was a quick prayer. Help me, God. But Nehemiah had already prayed this out. He's been on his knees before God for months. And God's given him the plan on his knees. This plan was worked out on Nehemiah's knees before God. He cried out the questions, and God answered. He probably gave him all his fears and all the hurdles that were going to come his way. God gave him the answer. In Psalm 127 verse 1 it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. You see, planning that comes out of prayer, out of the product of prayer, is far superior to planning. It's just backed up with prayer. Does that make sense? A plan that comes out on your knees for God is far superior yeah, any planning is just done backed up by prayer. You see, if you're proactive in his plan, it's a lot better than being reactive and asking for help in ours. The plan that is God's plan, revealed to those who wait on him, is the plan that cannot fail. Real efficiency comes in waiting in the Lord when we recognise the need wherever you are wherever you stay who your neighbours are when you recognise the need God will give us a burden He'll give us a burden for the work that's at hand the need for prayers paramount. The thing that doesn't go amiss for me when I listen to intimations in here is there's a prayer walk. If I went on to chapter 3, I would tell you about a prayer walk. When he sneaked in at night and he looked at the, he eyed up the walls and he looked at the gates and he scoured the land. Nehemiah and a couple of, couple of guys, they prayer walked. They prayed out of the rooms. <clears throat> we see how God provides but only after we're willing to sacrifice and count the cost and then we need to take that first step of faith we can pray about it we can count the cost but if we don't take that step of faith nothing's going to happen you pray for the need of your neighbourhood we've just seen the burden Scotland's some country for the Bible I brought up Roman Catholic, never knew most of it history was brilliant at college I'd never been taught about the Reformation, never been taught about anything like that I was taught to hate it but when I read about all these guys men of faith John Knox used to sing a song about him. Give me Scotland or I die. And he meant it. That's the burden and passion that we need. And it starts with me. And it starts with you. Without a vision, the people perish. 
לפי הפרדנה הפרש. הגוסם סלף סנאטה בקום, נו אני איש פרסן. אמרו לי, מה זה בוס סלף איש פרסן יאהבה מי? אמרו לי, גיזי הפרדן. גיזי הפרפוס למינן נדרקסנן יליף. בקום פאריז וואו. give you the plan and equip you for the job in hand. If we play our part, <clears throat> and it starts with us, if we play our part, we might see this country again, start honouring God. I know everything's coming against us. The Church of Scotland is splitting in two. We're not allowed to preach anymore, really. Sandy will know you want a social word, it's a sweary word. You're constantly condemned if you mention anything about God. <clears throat> but do you know something? You can't help gossip the gospel. I'll actually say to me, I love your stories, Jimmy, at work. I say, they're all real stories, then. Because God's real. <coughs> She's a wee bit of ultimate questions, a way to look. Ponder it. I said, if you've read that, come back and I'll put it in my words. I'll show you how Jesus is real. People are searching for the gospel. It needs to be preached if this place is going to flourish again. People are not looking in this liquid, moving society. Everything's changing. People need solids. They need absolute truth. They need some foundation to build their lives on. And we've got it. His name's Jesus. He's a rock that we sung about. Let Scotland, let Moody's burn, flourish by the preaching of the word and the praising of his name. His name. Amen.